You're listening to the Jofara Podcast hosted by Chris Lee. The Jofara Podcast, helping people of color to level up. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chris Lee's Jofara Podcast. We thank you so much. We thank you for tuning in. On today's episode, we're going to talk about addiction. Specifically, my addiction and my struggles with alcohol. If you follow me on social media or know me personally, you know that I have had over the years many struggles with addiction, with food, prescription painkillers, and alcohol. And alcohol is what we're going to be talking about today. Alcohol addiction was an insidiously dangerous road to travel. I had my first drink when I was about 14 years old. And like most things that you try for the very first time, I didn't like it. So this stuff was nasty. It was like some cheap vodka or cheap gin. And it burned my gullet from the rooter to the tutor. It was disgusting. But it did, however, transform me from my normal state of melancholy to euphoric. For a very brief time. Now that I could get used to. That feeling of euphoria. Yeah, that was something that I could get used to. I grew up in Detroit. And growing up in Detroit in the 1980s, it was a lawless place. It didn't take long for me and my friends to figure out which stores would sell liquor to underage kids. We knew those stores in every neighborhood that we passed from school to our homes. Some days they'd sell us alcohol, some days they wouldn't, depending on who was working that day. And on occasion, we would steal cans or 40 ounces of cheap beer. Cheap beer tasted awful. If you've never drank cheap beer before, take my word for it. It tastes awful. We would steal tall cans or 40 ounces of this beer called Magnum. And I mean, it was like the bottom of the barrel, cheap stuff. You pour it in a cup. And, you know, if you're a beer drinker, you tilt your cup to the side so it doesn't get that head of foam on it. This beer was so cheap that that head of foam was like styrofoam. Like you drink it and it wouldn't go anywhere. Just be hanging out right there. And this was one of those beers, a malt liquor. And you know how there's that that category of alcoholic beverages where you skip right over drunk and go straight to hangover. It was like that. You'd be drunk for maybe 10 or 15 minutes and then you just proceed directly to hangover. Not nice. And as mentioned, you know, we would steal the beer and and that's what my religious programming would kick in after I stole the beer. I think about When I was a kid growing up, I was not the best kid. I'll say that. A bit mischievous, a bit defiant. So my grandmother's way of combating that is she would yell out scriptures all the time. So like in junior high school or high school, she lived right next door to us. And I'd spend the night at her house and then go to school the next day. And, you know, she knew what kind of kid I was and and what I was likely to get into. And so she'd yell out scriptures. 
And so after I stole the beer, I could hear my grandmother yell out, Exodus 2015, you shall not steal. <laughs> By nature, I was not a thief, but I crave the euphoria that that alcohol provided me. So those were times when I was, you know, kind of transformed into a thief. The thing about addiction that I came to realize is that by the time you realize or admit that you have a problem, it's usually too late. What does too late mean? Well, for me, by the time I realized that I had a problem on my hands, I was in too deep. I was drinking alcohol just about every day, sometimes two or three times a day, like in the morning and then in the afternoon and then hanging out with my friends. As a teenage boy, I craved power. I didn't like to be told what to do. And drinking was not only a relief from this undiscovered pain I was carrying, but it was an act of rebellion. You know, I'm not old enough to drink. I'll drink if I want to. I'll drink and drive if I want to. I'll do whatever I want, even if it's something that's harmful to me, that's harmful to my well-being. And for the most part, this act, I call it an act with air quotations around it, continued unchecked into my late teens. Once when I was about 18, my father found an empty 40-ounce bottle behind the couch. I came home from school, and he had the bottle sitting on the dining room table. And I didn't think any, anything of it. You know, I, I saw the bottle, and I thought to myself, I'll be damned. Pop drinks the same kind of beer as me. But then my father gave me that death stare, that piercing stare that made me realize and remember, uh-oh, that bottle was mine. I remember that I had gotten drunk a few nights ago before and hid the bottle behind the couch. Why I did that, I have no idea. Why I did not throw it in the garbage or hide it somewhere better, I just stuck it behind the couch and he found it. And in his very gruff voice, he said, is this yours, Mr. Lee? And he said it like assumptively too, like he knew it was mine. It's yours. And I denied it. I said, no, that's not mine. And we had a back and forth for a bit. And then he assumed that it was mine, even though I wouldn't tell the truth. And, you know, of course he warned me about how drinking could affect my health and I could become addicted to it. And he reminded me the legal age of drinking was 21 and I was only 18 and so it goes. Another time, my mother found some empty beer bottles in my closet while she was helping me sort through my summer clothes. And again, I denied it. It ain't mine. And instead of going ahead and tell the truth and kind of working on myself, I just resolved to cover my tracks better. For years, for years, I accepted my addiction as a travel partner, if you will. But over time, it went from a road dog and a travel partner to an unwelcome companion on my life's journey. It was like making friends with a bad person. You know, that, that one friend your parents always tell you about? The one they don't want you hanging around? Yep. Addiction was that one friend that you think is your friend, but it's really not your friend that influenced you to do things and take risks that you would have never done. 
taking up all your free time and borrowing all of your money. After a while, it wasn't fun anymore. I felt trapped. I felt like I was in an abusive relationship with alcohol. It was like a monster that needed to be fed or else it was going to eat me. And at first, you know, I didn't realize I had a problem. And then I knew I had a problem, but I didn't know how to solve it. Then I began the real work of overcoming my addiction, which is healing. There's no two ways about it. The most important, the most critical part of overcoming addiction for me was healing. Emotional trauma and baggage just kind of left there to sit like a bag of kitchen garbage with food scraps in it that begin start stinking and stuff in the bag starts to rot and then you got maggots and then you got flies. Yep, and if you leave that garbage can in the house, first the garbage can stinks, then the kitchen starts stinking, and then eventually the entire house stinks. You ever walk in somebody's house and go, whoop, whoop, somebody needs to take the garbage out. Yep, that was me. That's where I had gotten, I had stinking thinking, bad thoughts, negative thoughts. And my addiction impeded my ability to heal. I wanted to heal, but that addiction made that almost impossible. I was drinking alcohol to numb myself and to mask emotions that I didn't want to deal with, but dig it. In those regretful, sober moments, after a night of binge drinking, the hurt would come rushing in like a flood of waters disregarding everything in its way, even things that I had deemed important. And this was a way of life for me. This went on for many years, and I kind of stagger back and forth between desperately wanting help and enjoying that temporary fleeting joyousness that came along with being drunk. I was a life at a party in high school, life at a party, at work events. Oh, this, this guy, he's so much fun to hang out with. The tipping point, though, was when I was forced to acknowledge the extent of my addiction and examine my painful track record, getting sloppy drunk at events for work, getting sloppy drunk at sporting events, over-drinking at dinner parties, spending part of my rent money on alcohol at bars. I used to live down in Tennessee, in Memphis, and I can remember sneaking out of work on the midnight shift to buy liquor before the 2 a.m. cutoff because I wouldn't be able to buy liquor until the next day after 12 noon. Just a, a plethora of bad decisions and then the onset of health problems like high blood pressure, fatty liver, prediabetes, liver damage, heart disease. And you say, heart disease? How do you know if you have heart disease? Well. If you have this combination of high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and high blood sugar, you're working on heart disease. And the most dangerous thing about something like heart disease is you don't have any physical symptoms. The first thing you feel might be your last, those chest pains or that heart attack or something like that. So it's in a real bad spot, you know. And here's something else, side note. I'll get some experts on here. We'll talk about this 
because this is something that, especially as people of color, we need to talk about diabetes and high blood pressure and all this stuff. We need to talk about that because a lot of that is rooted in emotions. A lot of our behaviors that cause us to become diabetics and have high cholesterol, they're rooted in emotions. And what a lot of men don't realize, you hear so much about erectile dysfunction. Women say, hey, my man can't get it up, which creates issues between two partners. Without realizing those related problems, anything related to your circulation, you may think, you know, it's erectile dysfunction and you can't get it up because you're getting older. But that's a telltale sign that there's something going on in your body that should not be. So a lot of people like to, you know, take Viagra, Cialis and all that stuff. You know, and that's your choice if you decide to do that. But just know that erectile dysfunction is not normal. If you can't get it up, it's indicative of something else that is amiss in your body, whether it be something psychological, whether it be that you have too much plaque in your veins, whether it's because you have diabetes and blood is not reaching the extremities or a combination of the things. It's a warning sign. It's a warning sign that something is amiss and something needs to be fixed. So if that's going on, that's something that you need to address. But like I said, that's a whole nother show. We're going to do a show about that later on. Right now, we're still kind of talking about addiction. So I told you a tipping point was when I was forced to acknowledge the extent of my addiction. And so I began to learn about holistic health, the power of emotions and how negative emotions have an effect on our minds and our bodies. Did you hear what I said? Negative emotions have an effect on our minds. So the thoughts that we think you probably already knew that, but negative emotions have a physiological effect on our bodies as well. So based on traditional Chinese medicine and, and Ayurveda and, and African medicine, emotions are housed or lodged in certain parts of your body or associated with certain parts of your body. Anger is associated with the liver. Fear is associated with the kidneys. Grief is associated with the lungs. So we can see how each of those individual emotions affects our bodies and affects our body parts. We can take it a step further. Every body part has a partner. And so you can look at the partner and tell that something is going on. For instance, fear is associated with the kidney. The kidneys are associated with the eyes. So if you have puffy eyes, bags under your eyes, and have had them for a long time, that could be an indication that there's something going on with your liver. Grief is associated with the lungs. The partner to the lungs is the skin. 
So if you have problems with acne or, or different skin problems, that could be an indication that your body is carrying a lot of grief. And when you hear me say that, you may think about, yeah, I can remember when this or that happened or yeah, you know, I've been having a hard time dealing with this or that. That's the way that it goes. That's the way that it goes. And when you get an understanding of how all of these things come together, when you get an understanding of how your body and your mind and your spirit are always trying to give you messages, when you learn how to decode those messages, that's when you could start to improve your health. My main challenges emotionally were shame and anger. The shame was rooted in religion for me. The shame was also attached to some abuse that had taken place in my younger years and then anger. Shame and anger kind of go hand in hand. And as I mentioned, I didn't like to be told what to do or forced to do anything. So those things were just kind of raging inside of me. And we've been told for years that anger was, is an emotion. You know, you can't show anger. That's very unacceptable. When somebody blows up, everybody gets scared or at the very least uncomfortable. So we tend to hold that anger in. Especially those of us, of, of men of color. People are already scared of us in the first place. And so when we get angry, oh my God, watch out. Now, you might be wondering, how did I find this stuff out? Well, I had my mind open up to a whole new world of naturopathic health, holistic health, natural healing. So I learned about something called muscle testing or muscle response testing. And that is how I was able to discover the emotions and the locations of the emotions in my body. And then I used something called tapping or EFT, emotional freedom technique, to eliminate them. I don't know if that's a new concept to you or not, but there's a lot of science and research to back it up. There was a doctor from Japan, Dr. Emoto, and he did research on water, of all things. And his findings were absolutely amazing. What he found is that water carries a vibration or frequency. And the vibration or frequency of water is influenced by unseen conditions around it. Fascinating research that water can be influenced by unseen things like thoughts like words, like events, like the collective conscious. You see the connection there? We are 80% water. Water carries a vibration or frequency and is influenced by unseen conditions around it, like thoughts, like words, events, and the collective consciousness. Just knowing that one thing was so liberating for me because it helped me to understand why I needed to prevent certain types of stimulus from entering my mind or what I needed to do to clear certain types of emotions. We carry emotions all the time that don't even belong to us. It's from people that are around us, people that we care about, and again, things that are a part of the collective consciousness. Now, I still had an uphill battle because drinking was my routine. It was my habit 
It was what my body had become accustomed to. Luckily for me, my body had not become physically dependent on alcohol. That's when, when your body becomes physically dependent on alcohol, those are the people that kind of have to keep drinking, that need professional help because their body becomes dependent on it. And when they stop, people can actually die. There's been reports in the news of people who are alcoholics, physically dependent on alcohol. If they don't get a drink, they can die. And uh, people who have that need professional help. No judgment, though, if you've ever been there. And I count my blessings that that did not happen to me. So it took a lot of practice for me to be able to do better. I had to develop a new mindset, and I had to develop a healthy way of dealing with my emotions, right? We, I was used to flying off the handle or sometimes just stuffing those emotions and keeping them in. And like I said, those emotions are, get inside of our body and it's like garbage. If you don't eliminate it, if you don't get rid of it or deal with it, it just sits there and rots and starts to stink. That's so nasty. But that's kind of, kind of what happens, you know. That's kind of the basis of, of stinking thinking. So um, that's my story about addiction. And if anything that I've shared in this episode resonates with you, if you see aspects of your life in my story, I'm here to tell you, and more importantly, I'm here to show you that you can overcome. You can overcome anything. You can heal from whatever it is that's triggering the addictive behavior and other self-destructive patterns. We all have self-destructive patterns and we may not realize it. My self-destructive pattern was alcohol, drugs, and food. Pretty easy to spot. Sometimes we may do other things because we have stuff we haven't dealt with, shame we haven't dealt with. Some people are addicted to going to the gym. Some people are addicted to sleeping around. Some people are addicted to drama. Whatever it is, whatever is triggering addictive behavior in you, I promise you that you can heal from it. If you need help, reach out to me. Send me an email at info at thinkchrislee.com or DM me on Instagram at thinkchrislee. Listen, whatever you're going through, I'm pulling for you and I want to see you win. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. For more great content, follow Chris on Instagram at thinkchrislee or visit www.thinkchrislee.com.